The this following time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, For more information
Amen. Good morning, church. You can be seated. Glad to see you here this morning. If you are uh, visiting with us, a guest with us this morning, let us just say welcome. We're glad that you're here. Glad that you're here on Mother's Day. Maybe some of you that are here with your mom uh, or have your mother with you today, and to them we say Happy Mother's Day. Uh, It's good to see all of our mothers here today, and to all of you, we want to honor you and just say Happy Mother's Day. We're thankful for you. Uh, I want to just invite those that are our guests. I started saying this. If you are a guest with us, uh, we would love to get to know you and to know that you are here and find out any way that we could serve you. Uh, there is a blue connection card in a seat pocket somewhere around you. If you would just take that out and uh, complete that, and as you leave today, hand that to one of the greeters who are there in the, the narthex. Uh, we have a free gift just to say thank you for, for joining us today. Well, it is Mother's Day, and I want to read a passage this morning that will uh, sort of put us in the context of that uh, along with the gospel, and then I want to just encourage us to give out of what God has given to us, to sing out of uh, the joy that he has filled our hearts with, to listen with expectancy, to hear from our God, and then we would go today uh, to make much of him. So Proverbs 31, I won't read the entire uh, passage here that is typically the, the... Um, the picture that's read here, but in verse 25 it says this, Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also and praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. I want to just pray for us, and I want to lead, lead you to, uh, to worship and to see the glory of the risen Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for all the ways that you bless us, all the ways that your, your grace, Lord, just rains on us every single day. Lord, we often don't even take notice of all the ways that we benefit from your presence and your goodness. Lord, one of those is our mothers. Lord, many of us still have them in our lives, they're still alive, but there are lots of people here that don't. And God, I pray that this would be a day where we're thankful for the gift that you've given us in them, and God, that it would ultimately, that their lives would ultimately point us to you. Lord, that today that we would see you living in our place, dying in our place, being raised so that we might also live. God, I pray today that you'd be the center of all that we do, that we would be committed to you as our one and only head, and God, that you would receive glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship God.
guys just saying with us. We're going to repeat that verse. The Lord, my rock, my greatest treasure.
faithful. You were faithful from the gods to the grave. us with 
the sword of your word to fight the deceiver. You are our joy when trials come, and you are our rock, our faithfulness. And Lord, we thank you that we can sing and proclaim your wonderful name and know that these things are true. Jesus, we thank you for your grace and the beautiful, powerful message of the gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. Church, you can be seated. At this time, children ages four and five can be dismissed to the right-hand side of the worship center. And this morning, before Scott comes up, I know everybody's wondering why he's not coming up. We want to take a moment and pause and just thank our mothers. There's a lot of mothers in the room, and we're not going to take time right now to ask you to stand or anything like that. But we, we want to thank you and know that sometimes your job is a thankless job. And, and we want to we just thank you for how you love and how you um, honor God in, in being a mother. And so this next song, it's not, it's not a, a song for us to sing as a congregation, but it's a song for, for us to sit and to listen to. And this is um, as if a mother was praying and singing over her children. And so just turn your attention towards the screen as, as the lyrics are on the screen and listen. Um, and this is, this is to honor moms, it's just a prayer over their children. with you in 
Thank you, Ethan. Thank you, Matt. Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and join me in Ephesians chapter 6. I can almost guarantee you that you have never heard a Mother's Day sermon from the passage that we are in today. Uh, This is dealing with spiritual warfare. We are talking today about the devil and demons. And so to all the mothers, I'm sorry, but maybe... Your welcome is more in order. Because don't they at times act more like demons than they do angels? (laughs) Don't they at times drive you to prayer? I mean, this is the reality for us. I have had more than one occasion this morning alone where God has confirmed this as the passage that He has led us to. Um, I had no idea that those that were in the gospel project today for Sunday school... Uh, were in this exact passage. Um, I had forgotten completely that Ethan and I had talked about that song and, uh, and how fitting that song is as a prayer over our children. And so I just want to set this up. I, I'm not going to deal with all of verses 10 through 20 today. I don't have time. There's way too much in this passage today to, to deal with that. Uh, as I wrote this sermon, I came up with three points. I was very Baptist. They were three points, and they all are alliterated. They all start with the same word, and I, don't, I hardly ever do that, but it's very Baptist of me. But I realized as I was going through this, if I preach all three, you all are going to be ticked at me because it's Mother's Day and you have lunch plans. Okay, so I'm going to preach one. I have one point today. I have a lengthy introduction, and then I have one point today from this passage. But to set this up, I think we have a skewed idea of what it means to follow Christ. For many of us, we, we look at the Christian life and we see it as this mountaintop experience. We see it almost like the last night of youth camp. Anybody ever experienced the last night of youth camp? Where everybody has finally come, everything's broken, everything's ready to go, nobody wants to leave, it is perfect there. I want to keep this mountaintop high forever, Right? That's the last night of camp. And I think some of us think that this is what it means to follow Jesus. 
And the reality is, today we're going to see that it is nowhere near this. That here, the Spirit of God, through the Apostle Paul, reminds us that we are at war. And today, I want to preach this message, uh, standing against the enemy, as we look at Ephesians chapter 6. Follow along with me as I read verses 10. I'm going to read all the way through 20, but we'll deal with uh, the first three verses today. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Over the next two weeks, we will look at standing in God's power, standing in God's provision, and standing in God's presence. But today, we will look at this issue of standing in God's power. I want to set this up and and give you this lengthy introduction, and I want to point out to you that in these verses that I've just read to you, the word stand is repeated there four different times. When anything is repeated over and over again in a passage, it means that the author is trying to communicate something there. And stand is important then to this issue that we are in today. The reason for this, that, that Paul repeatedly says stand, is made clear to us in verses, verses 11 and 12 where he reveals the identity of our common enemy. He says there in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, I want to spend some time here and talk a little bit about the devil. I don't want to glorify him. I don't want to, to spend so much time so that you walk away having your focus on him. I don't want to do this so that you walk away in fear. I hope that you will see in the end that there is a reason why I'm setting this up. So let me just spend some time here on the schemes of the devil. There are multiple that are revealed to us in Scripture. One is that he is a liar and he is the father of lies. And this goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. When they are there and they have been warned to eat of any tree in the garden except one, don't eat of that one unless in the day that you do, you will die. And Satan comes into the garden at that point and he comes to the woman and to, I think, Adam standing by passively and he says to them, did God really say that when you eat of it, you'll die? And in that moment, he utters this lie. And he is the father of all lies, and he treats us the same way today. He will mix just enough truth with the lie that it seems plausible to you. He is the father of lies. 
The Bible also reveals the, the devil as a murderer. That behind all abortion and behind all murder and serial killing and terrorism, I believe that Satan is behind every single bit of it. He has been honing his methods for thousands of years. This goes all the way back from, from the time of his rebellion uh, there in Isaiah chapter 14 where, where he rebels against God and he sees himself as, as somehow he thinks worthy of just as much glory as God and he attempts to ascend the throne and usurp the throne of God and he is cast down from there. From the moment of his rebellion, he has been seething ever since. From the time of the first man and woman, he has sought to lead people to, to shame God and to isolate them from God himself. And you think about throughout the thousands of years since the creation of man, since the fall of Adam and Eve, you think about the thousands of years, how many millions of men and women have come through human history. And the Bible says that we have had this common enemy, not just in our day, and not just in Paul's day, but in every single day since. And you think about the millions of people that Satan and his demonic legion have watched and harassed and studied and learned from. He has, he has perfected his craft, if you will, by the time he gets to where you and I are today. He meticulously knows humanity. Satan knows how we are wired. He knows our tendencies. He knows that in our sinful, depraved self, that he has this, this sympathetic ear, if you will. That we are more prone to wander than we are prone to follow God. That we are more prone to lead out on a hellbound race than we are to walk heaven, heaven, toward heaven. I don't know what I was going to say. You ever do that? You just try to make up a word on the spot? He knows how we're wired. He knows our tendencies. He knows you. He knows me. He knows the, the lures that he can dangle in front of us that will get our attention. Those fishermen in the room, you understand that there are certain lures that will work with certain fish on certain days, depending on weather and the moon and all those things. And Satan knows that about us as well. He knows that when he dangles this particular lure in front of you, that it will grab your attention. It will be hard for you to resist. And there may be someone across the room who would look at that lure that he would dangle in front of you and say, why does he keep falling for that? Because you have no tendency toward that at all, and Satan therefore would never bring that in front of you as a temptation for you. Instead, he knows that your issue is something completely and totally different. For some, it may be anger. For some, it may be lust. Others, it may be greed. But all of it, Satan knows the, the exact Lord to dangle in front of you and, and to do so in such a way that it does not look like evil. It looks good to you. There was one commentator who said, evil rarely looks, looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. It gains entrance by appearing attractive, desirable, and perfectly legitimate. It is a baited and camouflaged trap. And this is our enemy. The very fact here that, that Paul uses the plural form of schemes means that, that Satan has an innumerable number of schemes... And that he is relentless in his use of schemes. 
that he will not let up, that he and his army of demons are going to be relentless until you and I cross into glory. The Bible teaches us about our enemy that he comes disguised as an angel of light and as, as a servant of righteousness. That, that he doesn't show up in, in the way that, that the cartoons used to show him. He doesn't show up in a red suit with a pointy tail and a pitchfork and horns. But oftentimes it's very subtle. He doesn't even show up in exactly the same way that he always showed up in the Scriptures. That through the centuries that he has learned... And he has worked even through technology and the advancements of our day to, to come up with new schemes in ways to detour us, detour us from, from following after God. As I said earlier, he mixes just enough truth with error to make it seem believable. He instills doubts about God's goodness. He, did this, he tried to do this even with Jesus when Jesus was led into the wilderness to fast there for 40 days. And Satan shows up to Jesus, the Son of God himself, and said, if, if he is your father, if God is your father, then why has he left you out here in the wilderness with nothing to eat? Why has he left you hungry? Could he be, could he be a good father if this is the case? Command these stones to become bread. And he tempted Jesus to, to take matters into his own hands and to go another route and to distrust his father. And Satan uses the same tactics on us as well. That he seeks to, to cast this shade of doubt on the goodness of God. That he's really not a good, good father. Verse 12 tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And this is important for us to note because we don't necessarily see the physical manifestation of the spiritual warfare that we are in. I think if only for a moment God were to turn on our eyes to be able to see all of the spiritual forces that are against us, it would cause us to run so quickly, quickly to the foot of the cross. But we don't see the physical manifestations of spiritual warfare. Instead, we see one another. And it is so easy when we are up against something, when something is harassing us or bothering us, it is easier to take out the issue on an individual than it is to realize that there is someone else behind the actions of that individual. That's why Jesus tells us to love our enemies, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But instead, here in verse 12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the evil hierarchy of Satan's evil army of demons. That's why they're listed here, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, not, not heaven itself, for that's where God is. There could be no evil where God is, but in the atmosphere all around us and above us, there's a spiritual war that is waging. Satan and his army of demons work through culture and social systems. You think about how many movies we have today and how many of them are dark. Dark and evil. I mean, it's hard to go to the movies anymore and, and find something that is good and wholesome and enjoyable. You think of how much comedy and how all the, seemingly all the comedy that we, we have in our culture today, how much of it is crude and raunchy and base. What used to be the foundations of society are now attacked from every side. 
foundations of our society could, could probably be pointed as the family and the church. If you go back just, just a few decades ago, those two institutions were what shaped the culture. A family and the church. The church was often seen as the social center of, 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 a, of a town. The pastor was looked on as someone that was, he was to be revered. He was a leader among the community. And it's not so anymore. The church is, is ignored and even, even, even ridiculed at times. I, I got to tell you, as a pastor, one of the questions that I dread from a person who I first meet is, what do you do? I don't dread that because I'm ashamed of being a pastor. I just know that when I tell them I'm a, I'm a pastor, they will treat me differently. The conversation will oftentimes come to a close. The family is being attacked on every side. I said a, a, a couple of weeks ago that it seems like in, in our day, those who should be making much of marriage are not, and those who have no right to the institution of marriage are clamoring for it. Satan and his, his army of demons work through the culture and social systems. They also work through illness at times. We see this in Scripture. Both physical and mental illness sometimes is demonic. Not always, but sometimes it is. If you think back through the, the life and ministry of Jesus, how many of those that Jesus healed were the direct responsibility or the direct result of a spiritual attack? When Jesus commanded the demon to come out, the person would get better. Should we think that in our day and age that somehow this is no longer going on? I don't think so. Satan and his army of demons work also through false teaching. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Paul there writes to Timothy and says, in those last days, people will accumulate teachers for themselves so that their ears will be tickled. And then he here ascribes that directly to demonic influence. And so many of the teachers and the teachings that our culture is flocking after and calling it Christianity is the whisperings of an enemy. Sure, there will be times when Satan works through the actions of other people. When Paul here says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against all these hosts of demons, there will be times when Satan works through the actions of, of, of people, certainly. I mean, Paul knew this. I mean, Paul was beaten and left for dead. He was, he was stoned. He had rocks hurled on him and they, to, to, to take his life. There were individual people who threw him into prison. And in fact, when he's writing even this letter, he's chained to a guard. Paul understood that it was not the person who was his true enemy, but it was the one who was behind that person. That the actions that were being carried out against him were being carried out by another, one that was so much more deceptive and wicked. C.S. Lewis has written extensively on this issue. I've been listening to uh, the Screwtape Letters as I've been preparing for this over the last week. And in the Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis writes sort of this fictitious story of, of a senior demon offering these letters of instruction to this junior demon. C.S. Lewis said that there are often two mistakes that we make when we study demons in spiritual warfare. One is that we simply deny their existence. And perhaps there are some of you here today that would say, why is the pastor talking about this? Does he actually believe this? 
But this is 2018. And does he really believe that there's really a devil and that there's really demons? Yes. The Bible tells us that there are. There's enough evidence around us that tells us that there is. So one mistake that we might make is simply to deny this and say, no, 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 I'm, I'm way more enlightened than that. And I would tell you that that's where the enemy would want you to be. Deny his existence and watch him have his way with you. The other mistake that we often make, C.S. Lewis says, is that we become fascinated or obsessed with demons. And I don't want either of those. I don't want this to be an opportunity for, for discussion around a table today where you look for a demon under everything. You spill the coffee on yourself in the morning and you say, there was a demon in that coffee pot. That's not what we're after. We don't want to deny their existence or be obsessed with them either. But instead, we want to hear, we want to believe, and we want to do whatever God tells us in His Word. And so with that introduction, my first point, stand in God's power. Verse 10 says, finally, finally there is a word that tells us that everything that came before that verse in Ephesians, what he's getting ready to say is built on. That everything he said in those first three chapters of all that doctrine and how God loves us, and how God has redeemed us, and how God has adopted us, and all the practicality that He's been walking us through, and how we were once in the old self, and we are the new self now, how we once were darkness, and we are now light. All of that has led to this moment, and He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. The word, the, the little phrase there, the two-word phrase, be strong is really, the, the, it's a passive imperative, meaning that it's not calling you to any certain task. Instead, it should probably be rendered, be strengthened or be made strong. Some will say, when they hear that, when they read this and they say, Pastor, you're telling me that there's demonic activity all around me, that Satan is, is, is running rampant, and you tell me to be strong in the Lord. If God is so strong, then why doesn't God just defeat Satan? And the answer that I would respond to you with is he has. Satan has indeed been defeated. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The reason Jesus came to earth was to destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. We should never think of Satan as the counterpart to God. You know, Star Wars, this whole, uh, the dark side, right? And there's these equal opposing forces and all this sort of thing. That's not the way we view God. That's not what the Bible teaches us about God. That Satan is not God's counterpart. He's not the yin to the yang. That even Satan himself was made by God and for God. That the devil himself is God's devil. And God will even use the devil to accomplish his will. 
It's powerful. Satan is powerful for sure. We shouldn't underestimate him. That's, what, that's why Martin Luther wrote this hymn and this verse in this hymn where he said, For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Martin Luther is, uh, there's, there's a uh, famous story of Martin Luther there wrestling with the scriptures as he's coming to realize that, that salvation comes by grace through faith. And in this, in this moment where the Spirit is leading him into truth, he was under such spiritual attack that there is a spot there on the wall where he takes this inkwell off the desk and supposedly he throws it at this demon. It splashes against the wall. Martin Luther knew very well that there was an ancient foe that on earth there was not an equal. We shouldn't underestimate his power, but the reality is the strength of Satan is no match for God's strength. That even the devil was made by God and for God. That Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So here, when the Bible tells us in Ephesians 6 that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against all the principalities and all the forces of darkness, all of this, that even those were created by God and for God. That at the cross, where Satan thought that he had won, he was actually dealt this death blow, this fatal head wound, if you will. We see back in Genesis 3, the, the very first mention of the gospel there, where, where God in that moment walks into the garden after Adam and Eve have fallen, and he speaks, he, he, he deals out the punishment, and he speaks to the serpent, and he says, you will strike his heel, you'll bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And it was at the cross where Jesus dealt this death blow to Satan. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. In that moment, the devil had thought he had triumphed, but Jesus triumphed over him. The third day, the resurrection, was the great defeat of the devil. So when you say to me, well, if God is so powerful and I'm supposed to rest, I'm supposed to be strengthened in God's power, then if he's so powerful, why doesn't he just destroy the devil? He has. He just hasn't removed him yet. Luther's hymn continues and says, The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. Forever I heard that, that verse and I thought, One little word shall fail him. What's the word? And I kept thinking, what is the specific word? What is that word that will fail the devil? Give me that word. And it's not one word that you and I can utter. It's not an arrangement of letters that make up a single word. It is the, the command of God. It is the decree of God that will one day send him away. In his sovereignty, God has permitted our shamed and defeated foe to remain and to temporarily rule in this world. 1 John 5, 19 says, The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, He has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, Earlier in our series that we're in, The prince of the power of the air, The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 
Acts chapter 26, verse 18, Jesus commissioned Paul to open their eyes so that they may may turn from the power of Satan to God. All throughout the New Testament, we see that Satan is in this world ruling and reigning, but he's not doing so uninhibited. He's not doing so freely. He's doing so somehow under the sovereign wisdom of God. When, When the story of Job... God calls together these angels and he, Satan comes and he says, where have you been? I've been roaming to and fro on the earth. And Satan in that moment in Job, I won't belabor the details, but he asks permission to have his way with Job. And, and God, in his sovereign wisdom, for God's own purposes, for Job's good ultimately, allows him to, to unleash wrath on him but not to touch him. We live in a world where God in His sovereignty for some reason has allowed Satan to remain. I think the reason is because He is is tarrying, He is waiting so that more and more people can hear the good news of the gospel and come to know Him as Savior. Since Jesus did indeed shame and defeat our enemies, since, since the devil has been embarrassed by Jesus, as a result, Satan hates Jesus. He hates God. And therefore, if he hates God for embarrassing him, shaming, and defeating him, then those who follow Jesus, he hates us as well. And here's where I make the turn. Why spend so much time, Pastor? Why spend so much time here talking about the enemy and the power of the enemy? Because I want you to see that you and I can't Stand against our enemy in our own strength. That you and I are no match for the devil. Not in and of ourselves. If we were a match for the devil, then why would Jesus have ever come? We can no more fight our spiritual enemies in our own strength than David could fight Goliath in Saul's armor. You remember the story where David, this shepherd boy, eventually king of Israel... His brothers are off at battle with with Israel and they are fighting the Philistines and there's not a whole lot of fighting going on because all of the soldiers there for Israel are are cowering on one side of the valley because every day this, this giant, Goliath, would come out into the valley and he would taunt the Israelites. And he would say, there's no need for us all to fight. I'm a man. Pick your best warrior and send him against me. If he kills me, then our people will will, will serve your your people. But if I kill you, you will serve us. And all of Israel, all of David's brothers, they they cowered back on the hillside. And no one was willing to go. And David comes and he's bringing food and supplies to his brothers. And he's outraged by this. Who is this giant? Who is this Philistine? And he says to, to Saul and he says to his brothers, if nobody else will go, I'll go. And Saul thinks he has this moment of wisdom. And he thinks, well, what can it hurt? But at least take my armor. And Saul takes his armor and he places it on David. And David's words were not, this is just too big for me, Saul. Look, I can't move my arm, Saul. But instead his words were, I can't wear your armor because I have not tested it. The reason that's important is because David also had pointed out That when those said, David, you can't go. You're nothing but a shepherd. 
David had pointed out that while he had not tested Saul's armor, he had indeed tested God. That he had said, when I was watching the flock, and a bear would come or a lion would come and they would steal one of the sheep, I would charge that bear, I would charge that lion, and I'd grab by the beard and I would slay that beast. And God is the one who delivered that beast into his hand. And he knew, he knew that if he was going to defeat the giant, it would be God who would deliver him into the hands of Israel. And that's what gave David this, this bold courage to stand in that field that day and taunt this giant and tell this giant, today I will cut off your head and I will feed your flesh to the birds. Not because David knew he was this mighty warrior at that point. He knew in that moment that God indeed was all-powerful, more powerful than the giant himself. And you and I can no more fight our spiritual enemies in our own strength than David could fight Goliath in his armor, in Saul's armor. Our own strength will not meet the test. God must indeed deliver us when we're talking about this enemy that we face. Church, hear me. Don't check out. Oh, that we might know the power that is ours in God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 1, had prayed for these believers. He prayed for them there. And he said in verses 19 through 22, what is that, that you would know, that you would see what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and all authority and power and dominion. When we first read that in chapter 1, we probably weren't thinking at all in that demonic realm. But here he brings it back to that and says... It's there that Satan was defeated. That he's given Jesus the name that is above every name. That not only in this age, but also in the one to come, he has put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. Church, I think we spend too much time living in our own strength. I, I've spent a whole lot of time setting this up, but I think there are plenty of us in this room who deal with, with temptation and defeat every single day and somehow the enemy has convinced you that, that you have this seed of strength in you and if you could just harness that that you could defeat this thing and the reality is without Christ in your own strength we are no match for the enemy that the Bible says that we have but oh that we would know the power that we have in our God. Let me give you some application for this today. Because I want you to see this. Number one, we're not in peacetime. We are indeed at war. I know this is a heavy sermon today. And this is Mother's Day. This would have been a whole lot easier for me to come in and read poetry to you. And tell you some sappy story. But we are not living in the days of Hallmark. We are living in wartime. 
Many Christians live their lives as though they are already in heaven. They seek to make this life as comfortable as possible. As lush as possible. Many believers live as if they're on this cruise ship. What do you do when you're on a cruise ship? I've never been on a cruise in my life. I get seasick and I'm a little nervous about that. One day I'll go and I'll let you know if I survived it. But what do you do on a cruise ship? Here's what I've heard. You lay around and you eat. Right? That's what you do on a cruise ship. And how many believers are living in this day as if we were on a cruise ship? We lay around and eat. We get fat on the Word. And the Word makes no difference for us. We just let out a belt, a, a, a notch in our belt, right? And we say, man, look at my knowledge. Man, this is a great, this is a great thing following Christ. We live as if we are on a cruise ship, and the reality is we are not on a cruise ship, we are on a battleship. And God may never allow us to see it. And in some ways I pray He doesn't. But if God were to, for a moment, give us the sight to see the bombs that are bursting all around us, and the fleet that is coming to assail us, I think we would live differently in this life. I think we would follow Jesus a little differently. Here's what I want you to see and I want you to know. That we are not in peacetime. We are at war. Secondly, our enemy is very formidable. His goal is to get you to do things and to say things that would bring dishonor and shame on God. And he knows whatever it is that will, that will get you to follow him. He knows what it is that will steal you away. He wants to isolate you from God. He wants to isolate you from God's Word. He wants to isolate you from God's people. And how many of you know how easy it is once you get out of the habit of attending church regularly, how hard it is to get back? You miss church for a few Sundays, and all of a sudden, the enemy begins to whisper things like, well, you can't go back now. I mean, what are they thinking about you? And then he begins to whisper things like, you don't need them anyway. And he comes disguised as an angel of light, and he says things like, you don't really even need the church. I mean, you love Jesus, don't you? And First John says something like, you can't say you love God if you hate your brother. And so even in that, he's whispering a lie to you. And he wants to isolate you from God and his word and his people. He wants to, to stop the gospel message from going forward. And that's why he attacks believers. He is very formidable. He knows your weaknesses. He'll continue to tempt you. Now here's what I don't want to happen. If I were to end the sermon right here and say, he's going to just hound you and hound you and hound you, you'd walk out of here and go, man, this thing's hopeless. There's no hope for me. Here's the last point of application, and do not miss this. While our enemy is very formidable, our God is greater than our enemy. Our enemy is like a, like a leaf that falls in autumn and standing in front of our God. He crumbles under the weight of our God's feet. He cannot stand up against the God who is our God and His power and His strength. And God says to us, believer, I'm for you. My strength is your strength. 
Be strengthened in me. Next week we will begin talking about putting on the armor of God and standing in the, in the armor, in the provision that God has given us. But before we ever get to that, before we ever get to say, okay, what do we put on? Hear me, don't check out. Before we ever get to that point, we must be at this point where we say, God, if I go straight to the armor, I'm going to somehow twist that and make it as a, it's a work that I do. And God, right here in this moment, before any of that, I need you to know, and I need to know, that I am helpless without you. And so, God, I want to be strengthened in you. I want to stand against the enemy in you. If this is going to be successful, if I'm not going to be consumed, it must be because your strength and your power will do it. Church, this is not a hopeless endeavor. Our God is one. Our God is one. I'm walking through Revelation on Wednesday nights, and as we'll walk through Revelation, you're gonna, we're going to learn all about the judgment that's going to be poured out, the wrath against those who have rejected Christ. And we're going to learn all about, in, in those last few chapters, all about this one day when Satan will indeed be put away. And while he is defeated now, he is on a leash, and one day that leash will be yanked, and God will cast him away forever. But until that day, church, I could not be your pastor and love you well without telling you that we have an enemy. And the way that we stand is in the power of our God. Amen? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for defeating Satan. And thank you for defeating the one who had the power of death that we no longer have to fear death any longer. That because of your work, because you've invited us to trust in you, that one day death will be simply a doorway into your presence. We will walk out of this life and home with you. But God, until that day, Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us to see that we are not in peace times, that we are at war. God, I pray that it would not cause us to to hide or, or to put ourselves in isolation because, God, that's exactly where our enemy would want us to be. But instead, God, that you would lead us to be strengthened in the power of your might and that we would do so as we turn to you and turn to your word and we turn to God's people and, Lord, that this might be a place where the enemy is unwelcome, where we fight for one another, where we lead one another to be strengthened in you. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to reflect on what's been said and to respond appropriately. I think maybe one of the ways that you could respond today is to, is to pray today, to admit your weakness and to, to admit your need for His strength. Maybe there's some particular sin that has, you've just sort of been owned by and the devil has, has led you there. He's lured you away from God. He's isolated you from Him and you know and in your own strength, you can't resist this. But in the power of God who lives within you, you can. That you have everything you need for life and godliness. And so you cast yourself on him today. That's what I want you to pray today. 
Maybe you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus as Savior. I'll be here on the front row. I'd love for you to come and speak with me. I'd love to lead you into a relationship with him today. If you need to pray with someone, there will be people in the prayer room through those doors to my right and your left. Whatever it is that God would have you to do today, respond in obedience. Let's worship him. Good and faithful as sin. 
Amen, church. We long for that day. Uh, as you leave today, let me just remind you of a couple things. Uh, Vacation Bible School is coming up quickly, and uh, Brianne is uh, reminding me this morning that we need volunteers. Uh, we're we're uh, short on, on uh, several volunteers, so if you can help with that, there's a sign-up sheet uh, in the narthex there on the credenza. There's also a sort of uh, a, a pillar out there. Um, I don't know what that thing is. I think it's a pillar, right? It's a pillar. Okay. It's out there, and it has items that they're going to need that you can donate, and those are not, it's not just decoration. It's not part of the building. It is for Vacation Bible School, so take those and bring those donations back. Well, our children's ministry would appreciate that greatly. Uh, this Friday night is the uh, Friday night before the tractor show on Saturday, and uh, we're going to have bluegrass and burgers and hot dogs uh, and all of that ice cream uh, out back. Uh, and so if you haven't signed up for that, I think they can still, still come to that, right, David? Uh, so sh show up for that uh, on this Friday night. If it rains... Uh, we're going to move that inside the gym. So come rain or shine, either way, we'll be here for that. It's going to be a great time. I'm looking forward to that uh, just to be able to kind of fellowship together. Let me, uh, let me close this with a word of prayer. And uh, I want to just pray and thank God for his mercy on us in so many ways. So pray with me. Lord, we love you. And God, we thank you that you love us. God, I'm thankful today for so many of the blessings that you have given us. Chief among them is your grace in the gospel. Lord, that you looked on me in my sin when I was running my hellbound race, when I was enslaved to the enemy, when I was following the prince of the power of the air, when I was one of the sons of disobedience, and God, you saved me. And Lord, every believer who's in this room can say the same thing, and Lord, we thank you. God, now I pray, Lord, that you would give us strength for the fight, that we would be strengthened, not in our own strength, that we would not seek to, to live as if we're living in peace times, but God, that we would depend on you. Lord, that you would indeed meet us where we are, that you would be everything that we need so that you might be glorified, and God, that we might love you more and more every day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day. Happy Mother's Day.